podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is more of a mini-pod. I only have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our latest Femminile match, which was a wild one against Milan. And in part two, I'll provide a quick update on some of the latest news around Napoli. So let's start with the Femminile. Milan came into this match sitting third in the table behind only Juventus and Sassuolo, neither of whom have dropped a point yet. In fact, Milan's only loss this season was at the hands of Sassuolo, who looked like they could legitimately challenge Juventus for the Scudetto. That was a quality match. Really, the difference was that Sassuolo took their chances and Milan didn't. Milan are by no means out of the race, but when you consider that Juventus have won 29 straight matches, that three-point deficit already seems like a small mountain to climb. The last time Juve didn't win a game was a draw against Florentia San Gimignano on February 1st, 2020. By the way, if you're wondering what happened to Florentia, they sold their Serie A license to Sampdoria this past summer, so that's how Sampdoria got into the league. As far as Napoli goes, we came into this match in 6th place after a 0-0 draw to Hellas Verona. We were still missing most of the players that were not available for that Hellas Verona match. None of Emma Severini, Jimena Blanco, Maria Wona, or Soledad James were available for this one. Depi Chatsi Nicolao and Evi Popadinova were both in the squad but neither were fit to start, so they both started on the bench. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Milan lined up in a 3-4-2-1 with Laura Giulini in goal. Laia Codina, Laura Agard, and ex-Napoli player Gorni Arnadotir played as the back three. Arnadotir actually had a very good match, which was no surprise. She was very good for us last season as well. Greta Adami and Refilo Jane played in the center of the midfield. Valentina Bergamaschi played on the left wing, and Sara Tigre played on the right wing. Christy Grimshaw and Vero Bocchetti played as the two trequartisti, and Valentina Giacinti started at striker. For Napoli, Alessandro Pistolesi stuck with the 5-3-2 that he likes to play against the top teams in the league. Yolanda Aguirre started again in goal. Paola Di Marino started in the center of the back line with Helena Corrado to her left and Emily Garnier to her right. Francesca Imprezzabile moved over to play as the left wing back over Martina Tognolo. And Sedia Bramson played as the right wing back. Pistolesi played the same front five he played against Hellas Verona, but he moved a few players around. Against Verona, Eleonora Goldoni started in the center of the midfield with Ariana Acuti to her left and Sofia Colombo to her right. Sara Tui and Kaya Ertzen played together up top. In this match, Sara Tui played in the center of the midfield with Colombo to her left and Goldoni to her right, and Acuti moved up top to play alongside Ertzen. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. Starting Ertzen and Akuti together up top paid immediate dividends for Pistolesi. Only 8 minutes into the match, Ertzen played Akuti through on goal. She got goal side of Kodina who was late with her tackle. The tackle was in the area so Napoli were awarded a penalty kick and Kodina was shown a yellow card. This was a huge opportunity for us to go up early in the match against a very strong Milan side. Unfortunately, we were not able to take the opportunity. Goldoni's shot crashed off the bar and stayed out. 
as you would expect, with Pistolesi playing in a 5-3-2, Milan took control of the match after that. With that formation, the plan was clearly to keep Milan in front of us and hope to strike on the counterattack, which seemed to be working. That's how we won the penalty. Despite being on the defensive, I thought we did a good job of limiting Milan's chances. For the first quarter of the match, they really weren't much of a threat, but about midway through the first half, Milan took the lead. The play started from a throw-in by Bergamaschi. Adami received the throw and fired on target from about 40 yards out. Agide made the save, but she wasn't able to control the rebound. It was hard to tell from the camera angle, but the ball must have swerved on Agide at the last second. She had moved over to the far left side of the goal as if she was going to catch the ball, then suddenly dove towards the right side of the goal to make the save, which is why I thought the ball swerved on her. Because of all that, the rebound spilled in front of our own goal. Trige got to the rebound first and tucked it under Aguirre and into the back of the goal. Credit to Aguirre though, she responded well as she always does. Only a few minutes later, she made a nice save on Boquette who made a great run towards the top of the box before shooting towards the bottom corner. Aguirre is a tough keeper as well. She always seems to take knocks but always gets back up and carries on. That happened earlier in the match after Arnadotir played a long free kick into the area. Aguirre came out bravely and punched the ball out, but got caught in the face in the process. Fortunately, she was able to continue playing. Bergamaschi was probably my player of the match. She was back at it a few minutes before the break. She played a cross to Grimshaw at the back post. Grimshaw got to the ball just before Garnier, who crashed into the Milan forward. So Napoli were awarded a penalty at the start of the half, and Milan were awarded one at the end of the half. The very reliable Giacinti stepped up to take the penalty, and just like Goldoni at the other end, she wasn't able to convert. Giacinti tried to go straight down the middle, but when you do that, you have to lift the ball a little. She rolled it, which slowed the ball down just enough for Aguirre to see where the ball was going, and though she dove to her left, Aguirre was able to leave her foot out to make the save. Her work wasn't done there, though the rebound popped up in the area, and Bergamaschi got to the ball first, but Aguirre stopped her volley as well. Then the ball fell to Trige at the penalty spot and her shot was blocked on the line by Garnier and then cleared off the line by Di Marino. So in the first half alone, both sides missed a penalty kick. Then, in case there wasn't enough action in the first half, a minute after Giacinti missed her penalty, Codina picked up a second yellow. In fact, this was straight from the clearance of Di Marino. Ertzen got to the ball first and made a quick move and played the ball down the line to Akuti. Once again, Codina plowed right through Akuti and once again she was shown a yellow, so Milan were forced to play the entire second half down a player. To their credit though, even down a player, Milan were still the more positive side in the second half. They probably should have doubled their lead in the 57th minute. Once again, it was Bergamaschi in the spotlight. She picked up the ball in her own end and turned on the afterburners. She outran Colombo just with her sheer pace. Then she dribbled past Di Marino who was caught a little bit flat-footed. That was the hard part, the easy part was to beat Aguirre 1v1, but Bergamaschi got too much of the goal and Aguirre was able to kick it out. Pistolesi made a number of changes to bolster his attack. In the 62nd minute, he replaced Imprezzabile with Porcarelli. Both are wide players, but Imprezzabile is more of a fullback playing as a wingback, while Porcarelli is more of a forward that plays on the wing. Then in the 76th minute, he replaced Akuti with Depi and Goldoni with Popadinova. Those changes almost paid off right away. Less than 5 minutes after those changes, Corrado played a long ball to Depi at the top of the box. She did really well to control the ball with her back to goal, outmuscled a guard, and then slipped the ball through to Popadinova in the area. She took a few quick touches to set up the shot, but fired straight at Giulini in the middle of the goal. If that shot is on either side of the keeper, the game is all tied at 1. 
but instead Milan maintained their lead. Napoli continued to push forward and in the 89th minute Bergamaschi tackled Ertzen in the area, but no penalty was given. Now, I know this is a Napoli-based podcast, so I'm obviously biased, but objectively, I have no doubt in my mind that this was a foul. Bergamaschi got none of the ball. She went straight into Ertzen's legs. If there was VAR in the women's game, a penalty definitely would have been given. I guess from the ref's angle, it looked like Bergamaschi got the ball, but this was an awful non-call that could well have influenced the final result. Now, obviously, with two missed penalties already in this match, there's no guarantee that we would have converted it, but it really did feel like we were robbed of a point there. For a team that will most likely be fighting for survival all year, every point is important, let alone against the top teams, which are absolutely massive. Instead, the match finished 1-0, and we walked away empty-handed. Pistolesi echoed that sentiment after the match. He said, I am certain that was a penalty. He added, it's too bad because we deserved more against a strong opponent. We caged them well at the start. Then after the goal we conceded, we regained courage with their red card. We would have liked to take more advantage of the numerical superiority, but we could only do it at the end because our strikers didn't have more than a quarter of an hour in their legs. Unfortunately, some of the other results didn't go in our favor either. Pomigliano upset Inter 2-0, so they are now level with us on 4 points and they still have a game in hand. Their match against Sampdoria from the previous round was postponed. Empoli beat Hellas Verona, so they are also tied with us on 4 points, but their goal differential is better than ours by 1 goal. We'll be competing with both of those teams for survival, so a draw would have been ideal there. Fiorentina beat Sampdoria 3-2 and Sassuolo beat Lazio 3-0, which were both positive results for us. Fiorentina and Sassuolo are both top teams, so Sampdoria and Lazio both remain below us in the table. However, as I mentioned, Sampdoria have a game in hand as well against Pomigliano, so either of those teams could well pass us too. The final match of the round was the biggest. That was Roma-Juventus. Roma scored first, but Juve equalized in the 64th minute and then scored the winner in the 87th minute to extend their win streak to 29 games. That is a ridiculous streak, but this match did in a way expose Juve's vulnerabilities, or at least that they can be beaten. I hope someone can take points away from them so the championship is more competitive. I think the league is stronger now than it has ever been, so I think we'll see them drop some points somewhere along the line. Perhaps that will happen as soon as this weekend. That would be ideal as Napoli visit Vinovo to take on Juventus in match day 6. That will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll get caught up on all the latest news.
part two will review the latest news around Napoli. Let's start with an update on the racist chants at the Fiorentina match. On Friday, the Firenze Police Department announced that they've identified the individual who shouted the racist chants towards Koulibaly. According to Radio Bruno, it was a male between the ages of 25 and 30. I'm fairly certain there were others doing the same, but at least one was identified. He will now stand trial, so we'll wait to see what the court rules. At the Lega Assembly on Thursday, we learned that on the 13th of October, clubs are expected to announce that they've adopted new measures to combat racism in stadiums, including the possibility of lifetime bans. I don't really see how that's supposed to change anything. First of all, you can already ban someone for life today. You don't need this announcement to do that. And second of all, the announcement only says such as the possibility of denying access to all facilities. In other words, they've left the option of not denying access open. Before we learn that an individual was identified, the mayor of Firenze, Dario Nardella, said that we must punish the individuals who are responsible when asked about closing the entire curva. He added that these measures need to apply to all of Italy, which I agree with, but this way of downplaying the issue is a big reason why the culture in Italy is the way it is. On Thursday, Cosimo Guccione, the Councillor of Sport of Palazzo Vecchio, put forward an initiative that was approved by the Fijici. Every football field at every level in Firenze will display signs that read, Firenze says no to racism, with the hashtag stop racism. In the meantime, the sports judge has fined Fiorentina 10,000 euros for territorial discrimination towards the south. That's completely independent of the chance directed at Koulibaly. Napoli have also been fined 5,000 euros for delaying the start of the match. Moving on, September was obviously a great month for the club. Not only did we collect four wins in Serie A, we also collected a handful of awards. Luciano Spalletti was named the Serie A coach of the month. Victor Osimhen was named the AIC player of the month. AIC is the Italian acronym for the Italian Footballers Association. The way this award works, the editorial staff of Lutimo Uomo choose four players and then it's put to a vote by their professional football colleagues. The other players that were chosen were Inter's Nicolo Barella, Milan's Brahim Diaz, and Fiorentina's Giacomo Bonaventura. Apparently Victor got over 50% of the votes, meaning he got more votes than the other three players combined. Kaladu Kalibali was named the EA Sports Player of the Month, which is the first time since it was established that this award has been given to a defender. Kulibali will be presented the award before the match against Torino on October 17th. Finally, WhoScored.com released its Serie A Team of the Month for September, and it has six Napoli players on it. For those who don't know, WhoScored is basically a stats website that, amongst other things, assigns player ratings for the events that they track based on complex algorithms. So their teams of the week or their teams of the month are presumably based on those players' average player ratings for the month, and the players have to have played at least three games. Based on that, their team of the month was lined up in a 4-4-2 with David Ospina in goal, Koulibaly was one of the center backs, and get this, Mario Rui was their best left back. We might laugh about that, but he fully deserves the recognition. He really did have a strong month of September. Fabian Ruiz was named in the midfield, Lorenzo Insigne was their best left winger, and Victor Oziman was their best striker. WhoScored also released a best new signing starting 11 for the top 5 European leagues with a minimum of 5 appearances, and Frank Zamboangisa was named in the midfield. In other news, Matteo Politano has a new agent. He has switched from Davide Lippi to Mario Giuffredi. Giuffredi has slowly been growing his client list. His agency, Marat Football Management, currently represent the likes of Jordan Bertou, 
Giovanni Di Lorenzo, LCD Sai, Cristiano Biraghi, Mario Rui, Davide Faraoni, and Giuseppe Pezzella. At the moment, I wouldn't read too much into this. I certainly wouldn't assume that this means he intends to leave. In fact, sometimes players change agents because they want to stay, like when Lorenzo Insigne switched from Minoraiola to Vincenzo Pizzacane. What it does mean, though, is that Politano will want a pay increase. He's certainly more valuable now than he was when he left Inter. Politano is currently under contract until June of 2024, so there's plenty of time to work out an extension. What's interesting is Chucky Lozano is also under contract until the same date, and I imagine he will also be looking for an increase as well. I simply cannot see the club renewing both of them at higher salaries, and you generally want to extend the contract two years before it expires, because from the club's perspective, you begin to lose leverage as you approach the end of the contract. Not that I want to stir up the Lozano-Politano debate again, but that means this is really the season for one of those two to earn an extension with Napoli. Politano spoke to Radio Kiss Kiss on Thursday, but they did not talk about his new agent. Rather, he reiterated what his teammates have been saying to the media. It's a long season. We have to stay grounded. We don't think about the Scudetto. We just take it one game at a time. To me, this is just another sign of the strong mentality that Spalletti has instilled at this club. Giuffredi himself spoke to Radio Punto Nuovo about Politano joining his agency. He said we must aim for the World Cup, which we've always known is Politano's goal. Giuffredi added that with his qualities, he has an obligation to take what was unjustly taken away from him. Giuffredi also spoke about Di Lorenzo and Mario Rui. Regarding Mario Rui, he said that last year was difficult because the coach and Mario Rui's characters are not compatible. He said it's not the fault of the coach, they just both have strong characters. He also reiterated what he said in May or June, which was that Mario Rui was not going to leave Napoli this past summer. He would only leave after playing a great championship. That comes out a little spiteful, but I think what he really means is that the player wants to get his value up before leaving, because of course that would mean a higher potential salary. Politano was one of a handful of players who did not go off on international duty. While most of the players were away, Spalletti is hard at work with the players that are returning to fitness, that includes Dries Mertens, Diego Deme, and Fauzi Goulam, who are all back to full health. Deme and Mertens have already featured off the bench, but we have yet to see Goulam in any action since he picked up his third knee injury. Apparently, even Stanislav Lobotka has returned to health, and he will be training to get back to match fitness. All of these players will be important. After the international break, we play seven matches over about a three-week period. I think it's 22 days, inclusive of the first game and the last game in that stretch. I'll close the news with the latest on Lorenzo Insigne's contract renewal. There have been multiple reports that the parties are back at the negotiating table, which is of course very positive. Various outlets are reporting different things, but it sounds like the negotiations are going well, or at least that both parties are calm. I've seen reports that they're negotiating a 5-year term extension with an annual salary in the range of 4 to 4.5 million euros per season, or 20 to 22.5 million total. If you consider that an average, that's pretty much in line with what I had predicted in the summer. Il Matino are reporting that there will be a meeting between De Laurentiis and Insigne in the middle of next week. They report that De Laurentiis will come to the table with two offers, one that applies if Napoli qualifies for the Champions League, and another if they do not. That's really just another way of saying that there could be bonuses associated with qualifying for the Champions League, which is also not terribly surprising. I assume by Insigne, they really mean Insigne's camp, not Insigne himself. He's made it quite clear in his interviews that he's focused on playing football and that those matters 
are being dealt with by the appropriate people. He said it again in his conference on Friday after Italy lost to Spain in the Nations League, though he did give us just a sliver of insight. He said, my agent spoke to the president. It is not an easy matter. Of course, we'll continue to track this story as well as all the other stories as they develop. So that will do it for this mini episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fartsanopoly Pod. I'll be back next week to review our Feminile match against Juve and to cover any other major stories. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Network.